here to give you an update on the FBI's investigation of Secretary Clinton. What I want to do is tell you what we're recommending, but first, let me tell you what we found. 110 emails in 52 email chains have been determined to contain classified information. What difference at this point does it make? Eight of those chains are top secret. 36 of those chains secret. And eight contain confidential information. What difference at this point does it make? Everything I did was omitted. There was no law, no regulation. Secretary Clinton should have known that an unclassified system was no place for that conversation. I did not email any classified material to anyone on my email. None of these emails should have been on any kind of unclassified system, not even Gmail. Well, first of all, nothing was marked classified. To the contrary. Nothing was marked classified. There is evidence that there were tremendous classified. Now let me tell you what we found. Oh my gosh. 110 emails. It was not the best choice. 52 email chains. Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, here we are yet again, once more into the breach. Right. Both of us were on the road yesterday. Uh, you were in New York and did an interview, an upcoming interview for... It's already published. Oh, you already went out and give and take? Good. I learned so much about fashion yesterday, about Charles James, all this stuff. The quilted jacket, he predicted blue jeans. He's the first guy to ever make dresses with zippers. Like, this stuff that just... It's amazing to me that this... All my responses are inappropriate. It's just fascinating that somebody that, like, has done this much, and I would guess most people, like, don't know anything about him or even know who he is and yet like it's i was just astounded at how much the world that you see every day is shaped by the sky right very yeah very, very interesting yes and uh barbara bush passed, passed away yeah, yesterday i uh, actually i uh, put out a blog today of my uh brief but um at least influential for me encounter with barbara bush so it's on resident Exile.org. You get there. Did she rebuke you in any way? No, I, I, I was not enforced. It actually was a, it's actually one of those, uh, yeah, it's one of those moments I'll remember for the rest of my life. But, uh, yeah, she, um, she took a group of youth group kids from Midland, Texas. That was my first job out of seminary. And we did this great Eastern tour. And, and there were a lot of, uh, connections between Midland and First Presbyterian Church Midland and the Bush White House. And so we got a tour of the White House and got to spend some time with Barbara Bush. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. And um, anyway, so yeah, check it out. And in other news, we want to reflect on the news today. We are going to reflect on the news. We actually, this if we'd have done this the other day, this would have been a good podcast. Because we were, we, were, we were firing on those cylinders on the phone. We're still firing on cylinders. I mean, uh, you're, you're, half, on. you're half dead. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, other than this, whatever it is, yeah. Changing the season. Spring has sprung in my throat, I think. It's funny because it hasn't really sprung outside. Was, New York was like miserable yesterday. I mean, like, as far, it was just no sunlight, 40 degrees. For April, like, it was not a nice day. Like, it was just like dark. It's just, you know, spring it did not feel springy. Yeah. No, it's been chilly. And um, I thought I did, um, I tried to take it a little easy. I got stuff going on tonight, work. And uh, I'm, I'm having, I have a garden and I, uh, I tilled the soil a little bit. I didn't do much because I'm not feeling great, but I did toil the soil. I like toil, tilling the yeah, soil. Yeah, tilling. I didn't toil. I toiled by tilling the soil. Yeah, your toil was tilling. <laughs> toil was the till. Yes. At any rate, um, what we were thinking about the other night was um, the drama that is James Comey right now. And uh, like most people, immediately when we thought about Comey and Trump, we thought about Kierkegaard. 
Exactly. Yeah, that's what we did. So we thought that uh, you have two imperfect uh, examples of the aesthetic and the ethical. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Emphasis on imperfect. Yes. And, Although uh, no, Trump might be the perfect example of well, the selfish, the, the selfish, yeah, the, the the lowest form of the aesthetic, the, yeah. yeah, the id, id full power, and and we also, uh, I think, what we find annoying about James Comey reminds us of some of the weaknesses about the uh, ethic. Again, this is uh, mostly from his book, either two volume book either or uh, where he took sits out his ethics it's written kind of like a novel and uh, full disclosure here I've read a lot of Kierkegaard and uh, don't even begin to claim to understand I it. thought the suspension of the ethical stuff was in fear and trembling though no that's the that's the suspension Mention of the ethical idea, but the whole okay, the two, okay, the yeah, aesthetic yeah, yeah okay the two step, right right is an either or so anyway so what is it and about of course the either or is in response to the Hegelian both end. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Not a Hegel fan. No, and actually probably the greatest uh, long-lasting contribution Hegel gave us was two of his, I guess, would you call Kierkegaard a student? He sat in some of his lectures. How would, would you call Kierkegaard a Hegelian student? No, I don't think. A reaction, but I would say. Yeah, reaction, definitely. The, the two people the two react to Hegel who are much more important influential than Hegel would be Marx, who Marx, was a student, and yeah. Kierkegaard. I think I think you have um, two. I mean, obviously, Marxism has a greater influence in, in a lot of to more people in the 20th century than existentialism does. But I would say an awful lot of the way now, mostly in universities. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we got we got capitalistic Marxism. That's true. Working quite well for over a billion people in China. Yeah, that, I don't even know if that's my. It's weird. Can you even say that? It is what it is, though. What, how would you? What would you describe? Yeah, maybe it's statism. Though. Or maybe it's evolving too. I mean, that's what's interesting that Marx did think that, like, what happened in the Soviet Union, Marx wouldn't have predicted because he thought you would happened need Great Britain, Great Britain, or the United States. You need an advanced capitalist system that would then evolve into, you know, the, 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 he didn't imagine you leapfrogging advanced industrial capitalism and going right from sort of a, a, a really functionally non-industrialized state like the Soviet Union, just jumping into over into communism. Right. Well, the one thing is, is Russia have always had for them. They don't mind killing their own people, which comes in really Sometimes you have to kill the people to save the people. <laughs> That's right. So, so uh, yeah, just uh, what was happening, what happened under the czars just exponentially happened under... Um, under, you know, Stalin, and, well, before Stalin, even Lyndon Stalin. And you have a very kind of different, uh, I call it more of the godfather gangster, gangster version of the Russian epic of killing its own people going on now. There's this great, as a Brezhnev, who came, really came to power. Another, yeah, another attorney fell out of window, not attorney, another journalist fell out of <laughs> window <laughs> no, no. last week. Good Lord. You know, but we don't want to do sanctions. No, uh, no, it's, you know... It, it, it was a Brezhnev that I think when he took over, he brings his mom out to this big house, a limousine, all the cars. Said, look, look, look at look what I have now. His mother's like, "This is wonderful. What are you going to do if the communists take over?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's an independent film, or I don't know if it's a foreign film out now, "The Death of Stalin," that looks kind of interesting. I I may try to go see that, um, but I think it's kind of it's kind of, it looks kind of like a whimsical comedy. Which, gosh, he's such a hilarious figure. Oh, that's what I think. Slapstick when I think of Stalin. <laughs> it's slapstick. Anyway, but um, yeah, so going from Stalin, uh, uh, Donald Trump as the aesthetic. 
maybe it would be helpful just for us, to, because we, again, we don't claim to be Kierkegaard experts, but maybe it'd be helpful for the audience, and forgive us those of you who know more about this than we do, as we begin to try to find many, many, which would people. be many of our listeners, I'm sure. But all right, when we talk about the aesthetic, what are we saying? We're saying this is the stage of life where basically your telos is pleasure. You know, there, there are lower forms of it, you know, which if you just if you have all the money in the world and you just eat Big Macs still primarily and put ketchup on your steak and you get two scoops of ice cream and chocolate cake <laughs> this was the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake President G had ever seen he was there very much enjoying his chocolate cake I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Cress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Michael Butera, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Andrew Stravitz, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabadian, and Jennifer Underwood. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. You know, you could be a, a sort of on a volatile or you could be a very volatile You know, you could be, you know... I once heard that maybe Mother Teresa was an esthete because that she found pleasure in walking with the poor. Maybe. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that it doesn't, there's, like you said, there's various versions of it. One would be you're just driven by id and you just live for pleasure or power or whatever. Um, you could take pleasure out of, you know, that's all you live for. But there can be like the artist who suffers for their work. You know, I mean, that's kind of the higher, highest Right, form right, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could there's say, well, why are you, you know, I mean, you're, go, you're Van Gogh and you're suffering. And of course, he probably he had a mental illness of some sort, but, you know, you the 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 pain is worth what's produced from it. Yeah. So that's the aesthetic, the ethical. This this is when you kind of evolve into morality, duty, you know, the universals, you know, ethical norms kind of govern your own sense of you know what life is about. So you so do the right thing, Spike Lee. Do the right thing. Yeah. You know, where where that that becomes the the raison d'être, so to speak, right? Your reason for being, right. you know, which is seen as a more evolved. Yeah, I, you know, I think when you think in literature, Javert comes to mind from Les Miserables, you know, the, the inspector, 
you know, who is driven. Uh, that great song from the musical Stars, you know, and there's, it's or, life is ordered the way it is, and we have to, whatever, we have to, we have to maintain that order. The laws of nature, the laws of God, at all absolutely, costs. yeah, and um, you know, uh, well, Kierkegaard finds neither of them ultimately get you to the, the highest truth or the highest experience, which for him is Christianity. Uh, the religious life. The religious life. But one of the things that strikes, uh, and you can be an aesthetic and be religious, you can be ethical and be religious, but what Kierkegaard would say is that you're, if you're primary living from those other two frameworks, you're missing the, the, you're, you're missing the, the greater truth or the, the bottom line when it means to transcend both of those. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's, he talks about, um, in, I think this is from Fear and Trembling, he says, um, he's, he's talking about um, Abraham. Right. And he says, you know, this is the paradox that kept him at the summit in which he could not explain or justify to himself or anyone else. His faith was grounded in the paradox that as the single individual, he was higher than the universal. He had an absolute relation to the absolute was he justified his justification is once again the paradox he was not justified by being virtuous but by being an individual submitted to god in faith this doesn't mean that the ethical is to be done away with no only that it receives an entirely different expression so that for example love of god can cause the knight of faith to love his neighbor in a way that is quite opposite from what is usually demanded by the ethical unless this is how it is faith has no place in existence Faith becomes a temptation, and Abraham, since he gave into it, is done for. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is the religious life, uh, uh, the pursuit of beauty and desire takes on a different perspective yeah. from the religious as well. So both of them can be redeemed. You know, the problem, we, uh, you know, again, I have I have not watched much of Comey. I have not read the book. And, you know, I, I've actually read the excerpt, some of the excerpts they put out there, but I'm also— Little leery of just making a judgment about the book about the you know they they find that the most salacious and the most extreme things he says but um, you know I was and I can't remember who was saying this on Morning Joe but they were comporting uh, or not but well, maybe it was not Morning Joe it may have been uh, um, one of the other afternoon shows somebody uh, maybe it's the Cole Wallace asked someone to compare Mueller to Comey and the difference is that Mueller would never Mueller did not take it upon himself yeah, yeah. to try to and does not to try to uh, change things. He just well, he just follows the rules and the law. Whereas Comey, on one level, his high view of his own ethical authority has led him to make uh, uh, the Hillary Clinton thing is an example of making a, a tragic well, I don't, well maybe like Trump president, so that could be tragic, tragic for Clinton anyway, tragic for the world. But it also perhaps has made him taking a very how would you describe what you've heard from the book? High-handed, uh, sometimes petty. Uh, I mean, some of the stuff I've, they've quoted seems petty to me. And now, you know, Comey very well may actually hurt the very cause he's trying to – he stood for and, and lost a job. Over what he says is, you know, maintaining the integrity of the FBI and ultimately, you know, protecting the American people perhaps from um, a leader gone rogue. Very little in this life can be controlled. And many things go awry when people try to exert control. And I think that, yeah. The best laid plans of mice mice and men. men. Yeah. You know, I mean, Comey thought he could control things. Yeah, He thought he could sort of 
put his hand on scales and, and lightly tip them and sort of, and, and yeah, I mean, I think that that is, there's so little we can control. And I think you, oftentimes our desire for control, right, is some kind of way to manage anxiety. And it, it really was his undoing. I mean, it, this kind of, you know, this sort of being captive to his own perception of I'm the kind of boy scout, I'm the ethical man, you know, like it led to him being a little too careful well, and, yeah. a, and a little too assertive to try to preserve what he thought was the, you know, it, it, it's, you know, this perceptional, what if I'm going to, how are people going to perceive this? And it, it's the whole Merton seeing yourself versus being yourself. Right. He yeah. got really into seeing himself and yeah. thinking how things right. were going to be perceived and was just a little too careful that way. Yeah. There's an old line from, uh, uh, I think it's a Don McLean song called, it says that, uh, strong men often fail where shrewd men do prevail. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, um, you know, the snake sometimes beats the bear. And I think what you're dealing with here, and that sounds like a Chinese proverb, doesn't it? The snake sometimes beats the bear. Especially if it's very poisonous. Very poisonous, yeah. But um, this whole thing where for Donald Trump's entire life, he has tainted almost everything that he has touched and he get, he's gotten away with it. I mean, he, he, they laundered money. So much so that they need a taint team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> what did uh, Ben Stiller, when he was doing uh, Cohen with Saturday Night Live, says, I'm Donald Trump's lawyer. I have a whole file that just says, yikes. <laughs> 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 but, I mean, he laundered money. I mean, I don't, you know, people, they, they laundered money. He was, he was convicted or he got away with it, but he laundered money in the casinos. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that was done. You know, he defrauded people uh for all different ways uh but he's gone away from it he's gone away with it so far no one's ever really held him accountable and he strategically and you know and uh you know i think you see um comey was ill-equipped to deal with something like this but it also the thing is what um his his desire to and again i mean i you know the man was trashed uh uh, and some of it was his fault, but a lot of it was not. And I don't blame him for wanting, you know, in some levels, the ethics, you know, the, the ethical, they're, they live to maintain the reputation, you know, their own sense of righteousness, which is, you know, the spiritual problem with the ethical. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is, you know, we talked about this thing last week. I was thinking of um, Mark Manis's book on Luther's view of beauty, and it's very much like Luther's ethics, where basically, it, you know, for Luther, unless you, have at the you know it's you're at the Kierkegaardian sphere of faith and you know that you're justified by God you don't have to justify yourself then you can really love your neighbor Luther said our works aren't for God but for our neighbor so the difference is if you don't know that your identity is 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 assured in the love of God then really you're it's it's just this like story Spurgeon used to tell where like this this peasant farmer you know is surf grows this freakishly big circus size kind of carrot in his his land pot of land that he works and he brings it in and, and one of the king's audience says give it to you know wheels it in, in this dirty you know wooden wheelbarrow and wheels it into the king and the king is so moved he gives the plot of land to the serf he says you're a free man now and you can have the land and everybody's astounded well the next week one of the sort of you know royal court people you know who's very wealthy one of the princes from the he owns the finest stables and lands, brings in this majestic horse and gives it to the king. And the king's completely unmoved. And he says, how can you be so unmoved? This simple simpleton farmer brought you this freakish carrot. You gave him his land and I give you this finest horse in the land and you give me nothing. He says, no, because 
the farmer gave me the carrot. You were giving the horse to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's that's the the sort of you know that you know Luther's insistence that unless we are really rooted in the love of God, and that's where our sense of assurance comes from. That we never really can love our neighbor because we're really loving ourselves. Right, we're right. trying to sort of climb our own way up up the stairway to heaven, instead of meet us where God has met us. Well, I often say, you know, a gift is a gift isn't free if you expect something in return. Right, right. This is where, like, it, oftentimes, you know, gifts are actually often exchanges in disguise. Right, right. right. Yeah. No, and I think that's, uh, yeah, that's that's a very important thing. We have a comment here. Uh, can you read it? This is from Jeffrey Carter in California. Comey's supposed pursuit of virtue in his job seems to have led to an avalanche of the opposite in the election of Orangino. <laughs> Orange, yeah, I like that, Orangino. Yeah, very nice, Jeff. Nice, that's very nice. Yeah, no, so, but that, you know, that, <laughs> this is the danger of the ethical, uh, you know, that's the, you know, that's, this is, you know, that the, the, the you, you wind up giving, giving horses to yourself, you know, that, right. you know, that when ethics becomes a means to to an end instead of you know just loving people as ends in themselves uh yeah this is the uh, this is the problem yeah no i think that's i think that's true and i think the other thing too is if if the ethical is internal in other words this is it's your own system you know then then you become the arbitrator of it you know that was <laughs> i liked i liked all the family you know the stories about barbara bush yeah, she was the enforcer. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> she was. You know, she was formidable both in the English and French sense of that word. Uh, but she was a moral compass. There is no moral compass in the Trump. Uh, I, I don't. I, well, if there is, they get shot down. Now, Nikki Haley seems to be someone who has a backbone and uh, might might cost her her job. But it seems like any moral. She has to get a selfie with Howard Stern. She saw Howard Stern in a restaurant in New York. She's like. This is on my bucket list. Two things: <laughs> I'm going, I'm going, uh, I'm going to see uh, Billy Joel with my friends, and I got a selfie with Howard Stern. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh, but anyway, should we give David Bentley Hart some? Sure, uh, some David, credit. Uh, Orangino Jeffrey Carter tells us from Facebook is actually David Bentley Hart. Yeah, because because David Bentley Hart's ego is so weak, he needs. We should give he him needs, as much credit as possible. He's great at he's great at witticisms like that. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's definitely good at those guy. sorts of things. So there, so there we have it. If, if so, you know, we uh, we walk by faith and not by sight and unsightly times. Unsightly times. You know, the interesting thing too. I mean, fear and trembling does set up the kind of the aesthetic and the ethical. You went ahead and went to, not fear and trembling. I'm sorry. Either or sets up the ethical and the aesthetic. The either the fear and trembling. Uh, by the way, I, again, even if you don't fully embrace or fully understand what he's trying to do in there. Just the retelling each time of the Abraham story. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's, it's, the, it's the only person who's ever made sense of the Abraham story yeah. and Isaac story for me. But, you know, the, uh, God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac is an extreme situation, the most extreme in the entire Bible, one of the more extreme situations in the entire, uh, entire uh, you know, civilization. Matter of fact, it's so extreme. In some levels, it helps spawn three religions, you know? Yeah. Uh, but um, but it, it says there are situations where uh, the ethical falls short. Yeah. And and uh, I think the tr- thing is, it's, it's hard to play by the rules when you're playing in a situation where there are no rules or the rules are changing or the rules about one person. And... You know, again, we've said this before, 
But, you know, our, you know, we, our ultimate hope is not in the United States of America. But this great experiment that the founders gave us was about law, the rule of law. That's where uh, – and the protection, the great, you know, the great liberal tradition of protecting the vulnerable yeah. you know, in the minority. Now, it's been a very imperfect history. I just you – know, yesterday in my church history class, we were talking about slavery and uh, you know, it, the great hypocrisy. And I still think the sins of slavery and the unresolved issues of the Civil War still taint our society. I mean I think um, – there are certain issues that even the division that we're in now can be extensions of some of the original sin of this country and some of the unresolved differences. So I, I, my ultimate hope is in the United States. But we have – It's an apple. <laughs> you know, even less. <laughs> um, but it is uh, – but it, it has been a gift we've given to the world. And I think um, even the non-direct Christian influences that shaped our country are – indirectly shaped by the Christian tradition. I mean, I think you wouldn't have Locke without the Christian tradition. He made, he's not, I wouldn't call him an Orthodox Christian. He wasn't. But this whole sense of, in many ways, the best that we have done as a human race is represented at least in our ideals. And how casual we are about those ideals um, being, being thrown aside, and mostly by little men. And it's almost all men right now. Uh, uh, I think that that is a significant concern for us to speak out. And uh, ultimately, we see the, the limitations of the ethical, and we certainly know the limitations of the aesthetic, but nonetheless, um, I think it's, it's a time where we have to speak. And we have to do it uh, <laughs> not as a gift to ourselves or for our own reputation or for our own comfort, but for our children and our grandchildren and for the millions of people who are in an oppressive totalitarian systems or systems that are moving in that direction who look to us as a potential of, of ways to be done. Things can be done differently. Yeah. Well said. Have a good day. Oh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe said, what? God said, you can do what you want, Abe, but the next time you see me coming, you better run. Well, Abe said, where you want this killing done? God said, all down Highway 61. Well, Georgia Sam, he had a bloody nose. Department, they wouldn't give him no clothes. They asked poor Howard, where can I go? Howard said, there's only one place I know. Sam said, tell me quick, man, I got to run. Oh, Howard just pointed with his gun and said, that way down Highway 61. finger said to Louis the King I got 40 red, white, blue shoe strings and a thousand telephones that don't ring. Do you know where I can get rid of these things? And Louis the King said, let me think for a minute, son. Then he said, yes, I think it can be easily done. Just take everything down to Highway 61.
twelfth night Told our first father that things weren't right My complexion, she says, is much too white He said, come here and step into the light He says, mm, you're right Let me tell the second mother this has been done But the second mother was with the seventh son And they were both out on Highway 61 was very bored trying to create our next world war he found a promoter who nearly fell off the floor he said i never engaged in this kind of thing before but yes i think it can be very easily done well you 